Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. I don't always turn around and look at folks when uh, our praise team's singing, but I did in this worship service. I'm not sure who was having more fun, if y'all were having more fun or if they were having more fun. That's a wonderful song and encouraging truth there. I'm going to be in Proverbs chapter 16. We're going to read from the first nine verses of that chapter in just a moment. How many choices and decisions did you make today? A lot, right? Some of you thought long and hard you know, when you went to your closet and decided what shirt or what blouse to pick out. Some of you didn't think long and hard at all about that. You just grabbed the first one you saw. Uh, and some of us had to think long and hard about what we were going to have for lunch. If you went to a restaurant, you looked at a menu, or if you went to your refrigerator or your pantry, you had to choose what you were going to eat for lunch or for dinner or for breakfast. We make a lot of choices in a given day. And a lot of those choices are largely irrelevant when it comes to meaningful significance. I mean, does it really matter whether you had a hot dog or a hamburger for lunch? Both are bad for you. You know, it might matter if you, you had a salad versus a hamburger. But, but you, you get what I'm saying. We make a lot of decisions that are, are relatively, in the whole scheme of life, not large decisions. But then we have other decisions that are, in the whole scheme of life, pretty large. Who do we marry? What college do we go to? What career path do we decide to go on? What religion do we decide to follow? Who do we marry? Uh, all, those are significant decisions, at least in the sense that they, you know, they are going to have a long-term effect on the direction of our lives. And, and so all of us at different times in our lives, we want to know this question, or, or the answer to this question, what does God want me to do? What is God's will for this decision that I make? Do I buy a house? Do I rent an apartment? Do I sell a house? Do I move into a different apartment? Do I move across country for a different job? Do I take a different job? We want to know what is God's will. What we're going to look at tonight and, and this morning in worship is walking wisely in our choices, learning to make wise decisions. The, the, the way I think we need to start is we need to hear the philosophical question behind that. Now, permit me to go into a little bit of depth for a second. In, in this worship service, we may not be t thinking too much about the philosophical aspect of that, but there is a background to this particular subject. What choice do we make? It, it, you could ask it this way. Do we have free will? Can we choose to do whatever we want to do? Or is our life determined in front of us, and really our choices have little to none effect? Some worldviews would tell us that we have autonomous free will, that absolutely we have free will. We can do whatever we want, choose whatever we want, marry whoever we want, go wherever we want, do whatever we want with our lives and with our choices, and it's largely irrelevant to what is true or what, is, what matters. In other words, free will is ultimate. And if you look at the way that our culture is positioned on the topic of choice, and decision, it appears that our culture is firmly rooted in that type of worldview. That basically you can choose whatever you want to choose, and it doesn't really matter. No one gets to critique or criticize that choice, and free will is autonomous. The, the problem, though, with a, a, an autonomous free will, where free will is ultimate, is this. 
If free will, if human free will is the most powerful decision-making uh, and ultimate uh, authority in, in existence, then man, we're in a lot of trouble because we have not figured out how to stop death. We have not figured out how to stop cancer in its tracks. We can't stop heart attacks and heart disease. We can help. We can do some surgeries. We can do some treatments. But every human being on planet Earth, save a couple that God took, have died. We can't stop death. There are things we can't do. We can't change the course of the universe. We can't change the turning of the earth. We can't stop hurricanes. There is a severe limitation if human free will is, the ultimately, author is ultimately authoritative and autonomous. But then other worldviews would, would contradict that and say, well, of course human free will is not autonomous and authoritative. Everything we do is predetermined. We live in a fatalistic worldview. Islam is a little bit like that. There are other religions that are a little bit like that, where ultimately it doesn't really matter what you do because there's this God or there's this deity or there's this ultimate reality that decides for us. And we're just products of the experience that we live in. Naturalism is a little bit like that in the sense that uh, we're just here and we're here for a period of time. We die, we go away, and that's it. So, so there are some extremes. Autonomous free will or autonomous determinism. As we stand here as followers of Jesus or sit here in a worship service, which is it? Do we have autonomous free will or are things determined for us? Yes. Because when we hear the, the, the philosophical question, we need to note the theological solution. See, the Bible invites us to a perspective that gives us both freedom and a sense of stability to that freedom. It's beautiful. It, it invites us to adopt an approach that is necessarily mysterious. Because the Bible teaches us that you and I have human responsibility. We have free will. You can choose what to do. You can choose where to go. You can choose who to marry. You can choose what career path. And that freedom is legitimate and it is real. But it does not operate outside of a system that is controlled by God's sovereignty and God's rule. And that is a little bit mysterious. The book of Proverbs actually lands in this tension, this philosophical tension on this theological answer in Proverbs chapter 16. I'd like you to read with me the first nine verses. They're a subunit, and they deal with human choice and responsibility and also God's sovereignty and rule inside of the choices and decisions you make. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to read this, and nearly every phrase is either a phrase that reflects God's sovereignty or that reflects human responsibility. And I'm going to read it as such. So you follow along with me in your Bible, and I'll give a headline to which one it is, and it's almost a back and forth. Notice this. Uh, the first one is human responsibility. The plans of heart belong to man. That's human responsibility. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. That's divine sovereignty. Verse number two. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. That's human responsibility. But the Lord weighs the spirit. That's divine sovereignty. Verse 3, commit your work to the Lord. That's human responsibility. And your plans will be established. That's divine sovereignty. Verse 4 is all divine sovereignty. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Verse 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's human responsibility. 
The second phrase, be assured he will not go unpunished, that's divine sovereignty. Verse 6, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. That's divine sovereignty. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. That's human responsibility. Verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, that is human responsibility. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's divine sovereignty. Verse 8 is a better than proverb, and it's a reminder that even in the course of all of the things that we long for, we long for peace and security and stability and established plans. God reminds us there's something that's better than that. He says this, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Then verse 9, the heart of a man plans his way. That's human responsibility. But the Lord establishes his steps. That's divine sovereignty. The theological solution, according to Proverbs chapter 16, is this tension between what you and I are supposed to do and what God promises to do. Really, what that means for us is that you and I have an obligation to make decisions that are wise, but we have an obligation to make decisions that are wise underneath a perspective where we realize that our choice and our decision is not full-on autonomous in the sense that we're the ones in control. The picture of, the, of Scripture is that God is sovereign. We'll talk about that in a little bit. God controls, God rules, God reigns, God masters. God is the one who knows everything that's going on. And for us to have true wisdom in our decision-making and in our choices, we cannot neglect that reality. Now, now we have to approach that with a, with a, a good bit of mystery because we would like to know exactly why God gave us free will and yet God remains gloriously sovereign. We would like to, to kind of solve that mystery intention. Books have been written, ink has been spilt, that debate has been raging among philosophers for thousands of years and among theologians for at least the last 1,800 years. And ultimately, there's not going to be a solution that we find compatible with everything we long to know because... It is mysterious. God's ways are greater than our ways. God's thoughts are greater than our thoughts. The best way that I've understood it over the years is this. The only way that we can truly have free will, the only way that we, God can truly give us a choice, give us an opportunity to choose right or wrong, good or bad, evil or righteous, wisdom or, or the lack of wisdom, foolishness, the only way God can actually give us a choice is if He is completely sovereign and if those choices that we make do not inhibit the ultimate plans and purposes that he has. It shows the greatness and the glory and the wonder of God that he would put Adam and Eve in a garden and say, don't eat of a tree that they could actually and effectively eat from. It shows God's greatness and power. It also shows love. Because God does not want automatons. He does not want robots. He does not win you and I to love him because we have to love him. He invites us to love him because we want to love him. He wants a relationship. If you made your spouse love you or you made your children love you with some kind of love potion, that's not real love. But what God does is he invites us to love him in a relationship. He's sovereign, so he invites us to choose to follow him. So how does that shake out in our decision making? The theological solution reminds us of some things that we should bear in mind when we're making decisions. Whatever decision is in front of us, whether it relates to our health, whether it relates to jobs, whether it relates to retirement, marriage, family, grandchildren, whatever it is, here's some things we need to bear in mind. 
Scripture is clear. The Lord is sovereign. We have to bear that in mind. No matter what we choose, God is the one ultimately in control. That is a place of humility. That means we come to the decisions in front of us, the choices that are around us, with a sense of, hold on a second, it's not all on on my shoulders. That's why we pray. If we really realize that the Lord is sovereign and we want to make a wise decision or a right decision, if it's a right-wrong option, then we pray. Why do we pray? Because God is sovereign. If God knows our steps behind and God has established our steps in the front, which he says in verse 1, he also says in verse 3, he says so in verse 9. If God is the one that kind of controls what we say, he establishes our steps, he establishes our ways, then guess what? He already knows what you should do. The challenge for us as followers of Jesus is to discern from God's will what it is we should do. So we need to remember that the Lord is sovereign. Goes on into verse 3 and says this, so commit your ways to the Lord. Commit your work to the Lord. Hebrew word there is golel, which is roll upon. It, It carries this idea that you and I are to take Anything that's in front of us, our work, our decisions, our choices, the the challenges in front of us, we're to take them and we're to roll them upon the Lord and leave them with Him so that He's the one that's carrying that pressure, carrying that burden. I mean, I, I think we've talked, maybe not here in our worship services, but we've talked over the last 18 months about this thing called decision fatigue. You know, what do we do? How do we do? How do we manage this? How do we manage the challenges of the pandemic? You know, that, that plays itself out in businesses and working remotely. It plays itself out in employees. plays itself out in, in when to go in the office, when not to. plays itself out in how to manage church and decision fatigue. How do we know what to do? Well, we roll that decision upon the Lord. We trust Him with it. We leave it with Him. We pray about it. And we won't do that if we believe it's all up to us. Too many people get themselves in trouble with their decisions... Because they, honest to goodness, think it's all about them. They think it's all up to them. It's not. The Lord is the one who is sovereign. So what he's telling us, verse 3, we're to commit our work to the Lord, roll it upon him, and guess what the Lord promises? He promises that our plans will be established, or the plans will be established. It's not that our decision will always be right because we've done the right thing. It's that God promises to work when we trust him work when we rely upon him. He promises to take care of us in the midst of our trust if we trust in him. But we, to do that, we have to recognize that the Lord is sovereign. We also have to recognize that the Lord is just. One of the tensions with free will and one of the tensions with, with thinking about that is the tension of justice. Because we, we look out around us and we think, man, there are a lot of people that are making a lot of decisions that aren't right. And we don't seem to see them being punished for that. We, need, we want to see that. We want to see the unjust and the, the unjust and the wicked and the depraved be judged for that. But we need to remember that it's in the Lord's hands and the Lord's timing. Notice what the text says. Verse 4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Do you get, did you get that? Even the wicked have a purpose in God's plans. God is so sovereign that he can even let wicked people have their way. And their way does not ultimately thwart his plans. God's in control. We need to remember that he's just. Notice this, verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's a warning. That's a part of divine, human responsibility, right? You and I are not to be arrogant. 
and think it's all about us, think it's all on us, think it's all for us. We're not to think that. Notice what he says, be assured he will not go unpunished. Now, you and I may not live long enough to see the punishment of the pride of the prideful, but be assured if God has promised that they will be punished, they will be punished. We need to remember the Lord is sovereign. We need to remember the Lord is just. We also need to remember that the Lord is merciful. Notice the next phrase in verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Who's steadfast love and who's faithfulness? I don't have enough steadfast love and faithfulness to atone for my own sins. Neither do you. If you're here in this room and you've not yet become a follower of Jesus and you're trying to earn your salvation your own way, you're trying to make God happy by your own good deeds, let me assure you, your steadfast love and your righteousness is not righteous enough to atone for your sins. What is this text telling us? It's telling us that God in his greatness and in his mercy has stepped down into our world into our, and by his goodness and by his kindness, by his steadfast love and his mercy, he has made a way for our iniquity to be atoned for. Ultimately, that happens through the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, his death on the cross for our salvation. We need to remember that the Lord is merciful. What does that remind us? That we're to fear the Lord. The rest of verse 6. Verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at, be at peace with him. We might plan our way, verse 9, but the Lord is the one who establishes our steps. What does that mean? We recognize the Lord is merciful. And by the way, just, just you know, for, a, for a practice, a habit, look back in your life for a second. Some of you have made some really spectacularly wise choices. Really have. You know how I know that? Because some of you are sitting next to that choice in this worship service. Some of you at home are sitting next to that choice, that spouse, and it's a spectacularly wise choice. Some of you have made some not wise choices, and I'm not talking about your spouses, but careers, decisions. You can look back at your life and you think, oh man, I wish I could have that one back. I, I wish I could get a mulligan on that. I wish I could not waste that money on that crazy plan. That didn't work. I wish. But do you know what? God is merciful. If God were just to some of us, some of what we have done over the years would mean that we should be judged immediately and God could, should send us on a straight path to eternal judgment. But that's not what God does. God is merciful to us. He's gracious to us. He's kind to us. He loves us. We need to remember that the Lord is merciful. And that framework, that theological framework, the Lord is sovereign, the Lord is just, and the Lord is merciful, should undergird any decision that we make. Any choice that's in front of us, you need to remember, hey, God is ultimately the one in control. He is. I can't tell you the number of times over the years of our marriage that my wife and I have had a choice in front of us. We've had an option to do this or to do that. And we haven't really known what to do. It wasn't very clear to us. Sometimes it wasn't clear to us because we were debating the pros and the cons. You ever made a pros and cons list? It's not a bad thing to do. But don't make a pro and con list without praying to God about it. Because a pro and con with that divine wisdom is, is not always helpful. But I've been amazed at the number of times we've paused. We haven't acted foolishly or acted quish, quickly or rushed a decision like we just sang about. We're not rushing. We're not, we're not jumping in, in a hurry. We're not in a hurry. And we've paused and we've prayed. And you know what God's done? 
he's answered for us. He's made it abundantly clear within the next several hours and the next several days exactly what we should do or shouldn't do. God's good like that. He's merciful. That theological framework should undergird our decisions. So we can ask or hear the philosophical question. We need to note the theological solution. There's a tension. There's a mystery. God is sovereign. We have free will. But then here's what we need to do. We need to apply the practical wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Where does that come from? Well, the practical wisdom of the book of Proverbs is this. According to Warren Wiersbe, listen to this. Most of the situations, opportunities, and decisions the average person encounters in life are already dealt with in the Word of God. Consult a topical index of the Bible or even the book of Proverbs, and you'll see how thoroughly the Scripture deals with the practical affairs of life. Of course, we can't expect the Bible to specifically tell us the name of the person we should marry, which job to accept, what car to buy, or where to spend our vacation. But if we are saturated with God's wisdom and sincerely seeking His will, we'll be ready for Him to guide us by His Spirit in the providential circumstances of life. So how do we apply the practical wisdom? Well, we let the Scripture teach us some things that we ought to do or ought not to do. I'm going to look at three other b- Proverbs that kind of give us some guidance on decision-making. Here's the first one. Before making decisions, seek wise counsel. On a number of occasions in the book of Proverbs, it tells us that we should get advice. Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs 24.6 says this, For by wise guidance... You can wage war, and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. So what are we to do? Before making decisions, we're to seek counsel. We're we're to go to people that we trust and value who are walking with God, spiritually mature, and seek their counsel. It's not like we're trying to make a decision by consensus. That's not what I'm talking about. Because if we're doing that, and you're trying to get consensus inside a Baptist church, or you're kind of trying to get a consensus inside your home or inside Wilkes County, there's not a consensus for much in, in our community. You're not, getting, you're not making a decision by consensus. You're making a decision by counsel. Meaning that if you've got a thing that's really puzzled you, that you're not sure about, then seek counsel. I, I talk with some pastor friends of mine about this. When, when they're thinking about moving to a church, and interviewing with a search committee, I did this before I came here to be your pastor. I interviewed with several search committees, and I, I got a lot of information from Wilkesboro Baptist and a lot of information from other churches when I interviewed with them. And, and I, I talked about it this way. I said, the more information you have, the easier it is to pray about what you should do. Because the information informs and guides your prayer life and, and helps frame your decision. That's what seeking counsel does. So if you've got a situation in front of you, you're unsure, should I do this or should I do that? Should I take this job? Should I engage in this activity? Should I invest in this corporation? Should I marry this person? Seek wise counsel. And if you get a lot of hesitation from people that you trust, then it might be reason for you to pause. Before making a decision, seek counsel. Here's a second uh, practical piece of advice from the book of Proverbs before making decisions. Seek discernment. Seek spiritual wisdom. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Interesting set of Proverbs here. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. 
let that sink in a moment. Seems contradictory. Answer not a fool, answer a fool. Should we answer a fool? Should we answer not a fool? What does that mean? Well, it's an invitation to discern. It's an invitation for us to remember that not every situation we face is going to call for the same decision that we made in the previous situation that we faced. In truth, what he's saying is, we're not to answer a fool according to the way that he speaks. How do fools speak in the book of Proverbs? They're brash, they're prideful, they're arrogant, they're know-it-alls, they're sarcastic, they're jerks. So what Solomon is saying, or what the, the, the writer of this particular proverb is saying, don't answer in the same tone in the same spirit. Don't act like a jerk when you answer anyone, but don't act like a jerk when you answer a fool. Don't act prideful when you answer a fool. Don't answer a fool in the same manner that he spoke out, but answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. It means when we answer, we're to answer with patience, we're to answer with grace, we're to answer with kindness, we're to answer with a desire for instruction. What does that mean? It means that we're to seek discernment. Some of the godliest people that I know are people that don't feel like they have to speak into every possible situation. I'm trying to be more like that. It's so easy sometimes for us to feel like we've read an article, we've read a book, we've researched a subject, we're an expert on it. It's easy for us to think that and then speak into a situation. But the book of Proverbs tells us before making decisions, before speaking, we're to do what? Seek discernment. Sometimes the best thing we can do is be patient, is pause, speak little, speak not at all. Or when we do speak, we speak in a way to help and to instruct, not necessarily to defeat or to argue. I'll tell you this, a lot of Facebook conversations, a lot of social media conversations would die, die down if we would talk with more kindness toward each other. If we would not be vitriolic and angry and be more foolish in the way we talk. Before we make decisions, Seek discernment. Then thirdly, here's another piece of practical advice, applying proverbial wisdom. Before making decisions, recognize who you fear. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. What's the fear of man? Fear of man is that when we make a decision, we make a decision based more on what somebody's going to think of us or based more on what we think somebody's going to think of us than whether we trust the Lord or not. I know people, I've heard them, I've, I've listened to their testimony at Fruitland Baptist Bible College that said they were called to ministry a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. They said, I, I, I was called to ministry, but I ran from that call because I was rebellious or because I was afraid of what someone might think of me. They might think I was kooky. They might think I was odd. And you know what God did? God chased them down and God brought them back and they're full on faithful to him in ministry at this point in their life because they were afraid of man early on. I know people who have made some of the worst decisions possible because they're afraid of what somebody else will think or what somebody else might do. The fear of man is a snare. Meaning that if you're afraid of that person, that spouse, that neighbor, that coworker, that church member, afraid of what they're going to think, 
then your, your decision is based on fear. And fearful decisions are not wise. They hardly ever work out our benefit. What are we to do? What's the contrast? We're to fear the Lord. We're to trust the Lord. We're to depend on the Lord. We're to count on Him, not be afraid of that person or that circumstance or that situation. Don't be afraid of others. Trust in the Lord. That's some wise words from the book of Proverbs. So thirdly, as far as a lesson, we need to make sure that we apply the practical wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Let me give you a fourth observation from this book on making decisions. We need to recognize the theological significance of our decisions. Did you grasp that in Proverbs 16? Catch this. Verse 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Means God will root them and ground them. Verse 4, the Lord has made everything for his purpose, its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Did you get that? God is sovereign even over those who are wicked and will be judged. It's an eternal picture. Not necessarily in our course, in our lifetime, it, it's going to happen. Catch this, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. The arrogant, the wicked, the foolish, the unwise, they have a punishment that's coming. In other words, the decisions that they're making today, the pride that they're holding on to, the arrogance, the wickedness, the depravity, the things that they're not letting go of, guess what? There's going to come a day when God brings them in front of himself for judgment. Verse, verse 6. <clears throat> My steadfast love and faithfulness iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. How do we move away from a, being a wicked person who's judged we do so by making sure that we fear the Lord, we trust the Lord, we count on the Lord. And you know what God promises to do? He promises to atone for us and cleanse us. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. God does something that's supernatural. In verse 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. What does that mean? It means that there is a theological and a supernatural and even an eternal significance to the choices that we make. Do you realize that? Do you realize that you being in a worship service might matter forever and forever and forever? You realize the glory and the beauty of God actually giving us free will is that our choices have consequences. Our choices have significance. Our choices can actually matter for good or for evil. 20 years ago this week, September 11th took place. Hijackers took over four different planes. Two, they flew into um, the World Trade Center towers. Uh, one, they uh, crashed near the Pentagon. And then another one that was hijacked, uh, some passengers on the plane decided they weren't going to have any more of what the hijackers were going to do. Um, Mark Beeman, I believe is his name, Todd Beeman rather, I'm sorry, and several other passengers were on flight, flight 93. And while they were in the air going from Newark to San Francisco, the hijackers went into the cockpit, they killed the pilots, and they took over the plane. The plane veered off course. And in the back of the plane, Todd and other passengers were calling out using the, the technology on the plane. They were calling family members, and they were calling friends, and they were calling people to find out what was going on and to tell what was going on. While on that flight, they, they heard the news that two planes had been flown into the World Trade Center towers. And based on what they, had, they were watching, they realized that their plane had been hijacked to become a missile 
to bring destruction to somewhere else. And on that plane, on the way to whatever target the hijackers had been assigned, they decided in that moment that they were going to do whatever it took to make sure nobody else had to die needlessly. And they stormed the cockpit. Todd Beeman is a follower of Jesus, and the last phone call he made, he and the person he was talking to on the other end of the line were quoting the Lord's Prayer, quoting Psalm 23. And they and he and a lot of other passengers on that plane moved forward, took over the plane, crashed the plane, and rescued countless lives of people that have no idea and can only speculate who that plane was intended to kill. Our actions have consequences. One question that that you may ask, kind of going back to the very first part of our sermon, how is it that God could let tragedies like that take place? How is it that God could allow people with such evil motives accomplish such devastation on that day, even if some of it was thwarted? How could God allow that? God is a God of graciousness and a God who allows free will. But I want, to hear, want you to hear this. God is also a God of sovereignty. And no matter what man tries to do, God is still ultimately in control. You know how I know that? Because you could go back to 2,000 years ago when Peter betrayed Jesus, denied Jesus, when Judas betrayed Jesus, when the religious leaders decried Jesus, when the Romans killed Jesus. All of those people had free will. Every single one of them had a choice. Peter could have chosen to follow rather than deny. Judas could have not chosen to betray Jesus. The Romans could have said, we're going to do the right thing and not kill someone who's innocent. The religious leaders could have followed the Messiah rather than kill the person who had come to rescue them for salvation. All of them made the wrong choice. And yet, you know what God did in His graciousness and His sovereignty and His glory? He intervened even in their wrong choices to accomplish the greatest act of mercy and salvation that the world will ever see. Because of Judas' betrayal, because of the murderous actions of the Romans, because of the hateful actions of the Jewish religious leaders, Jesus went to the cross. Ultimately, as a part of God's plan, died on the cross paid for their sins on the cross, paid for our sins on the cross, and offers us atonement, forgiveness, and mercy. Folks, your decisions, my decisions and choices, have eternal significance. They can only have eternal significance because we have a sovereign God who rules and reigns no matter what we do or say. I'm here to tell you, I want my choices and decisions to promote the work of God bringing salvation and redemption to others. How about you? If that's you, then we need to let the Scripture, we need to let the framework of God's Word guide the decisions that we make. I beg you, if you're watching us, if you're listening and you haven't yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, know that He died for your sins. Know that He offers you eternal life if you'll confess your sins and accept Him as Lord and Savior. Know that you have an opportunity in front of you in this moment. It's a choice. Are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to trust your life to the one who wants to save you? If you do, I'd love nothing more than to tell you how you can do that. Give us a call uh, on our number. Reach out to us by email. 
Do, what, do whatever it takes to find out how you can follow Jesus. If you're in the room, come forward at the invitation. Stop by and see me after the worship service. Jesus is offering you an opportunity to experience forgiveness and eternal life. Will you follow him? Christian, will you let him give you the wisdom that you need for the decision in front of you? Stand with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment, and we thank you for your work of redemption on the cross. Thank you for the salvation that you've offered to us through your son, Jesus. We thank you that our lives can matter, not because we're ultimate, not because our free will matters ultimately, Lord God, because our free will functions inside your glorious sovereignty. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your invitation. Thank you for the opportunity to follow you. And I pray, Lord God, that we turn our hearts to you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.